Mitch Ferraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hour number two of Arizona Sports Saturday here in the Auction Community Studios. Mitch Ferraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry's behind the glass, bumping them beats. We take a moment now to talk more about the Cardinals and their plans for the draft and maybe some more reactions to what the general manager and head coach had to say this week. So for that, we bring on our Cards beat writer, insider here at Arizona Sports. He's Tyler Drake, and he joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Ty, how are you doing today? What's up, guys? I'm doing all right. How are you? We're doing good. We're doing good. I don't know if you got a chance. You probably have seen them already, but I just want to read out some numbers, and I want to get your reaction to them, okay? So here we go. 5'10 and an eighth, 204 pounds, 30 and a half inches, and then nine and three quarters inches. Those are the measurements of quarterback for out of Alabama, Bryce Young. And it's almost starkly similar to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray at the combine, 5'10 and an eighth, 207, 28 and a half arm length, nine and a half hand size. Are we overreacting to this whole thing? I mean, I felt like we all knew this was coming. The fact of there's going to be the comparison to Kyler and, you know, his measurements from when he was at the combine. So do I think it's a little overreaction? Yeah, a little bit. Let's see what he can do when he gets on the field. But it it is pretty, uh, pretty interesting how close they really are. And a lot of those measurements. I'll bet they both run in a straight line for the 40-yard dash, too. Gosh. I cannot watch the Combine. It is so dumb. I'll tell you what will get me to start watching the Combine. If they start filming all the interviews, because let's be honest, that's the real important thing going on at the Combine is what's going on behind the scenes. If they film those and they aired those, because teams already film everything else, we might as well see that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, make it a... Why, you know what? Why can't Hard Knocks do like a Hard Knocks combine? Exactly. We can just we can just have the whole edition there. We can get all the interviews, and then the, there we go. Yeah, because like you said, that's where all the meat is. As much as you know, no, like not discrediting any of those guys trying to you know up their draft stock. But yeah, a lot of those drills are yeah running in a straight line, pumping iron, and and outside of that, that's that's about it. So yeah, I mean, or at least maybe throw some more football drills in there. So it seems like the focus for us here in Arizona in regards to the combine, well, it's really now boiled down to two and one more so for the wrong reasons. But Jalen Carter and Will Anderson, Will Anderson, obviously, because of all the all the statistics that he or whatever the phrase is that he was able to put up while doing his combine drills. And then Jalen Carter, who made news for the very wrong reasons. Do you think. Just in your personal opinion, do you think it creates just a one-horse race for the Arizona Cardinals if they stay at number three? Yeah, I do, personally. I think just given new regimes coming in, they want to have that clean slate, want to have that, you know, culture-building, you know, foundation, the four pillars that Jonathan Gannon talked about. I just think, you know, obviously, you know, more information has to come out. You want to see the whole process through with Jalen, but... I think that's just kind of a red flag. And, and yeah, for me, I think it's Will Anderson or, or trade down at this point. Uh, that's Those are the two best options in my eyes. And, and I think everything that I've seen from Will Anderson at the Combine and just from his resume as, as a college player, it's really, really impressive. And the dude sounds like a pro's pro, and he sounds like he could come in and really make an impact day one. All right, we're talking with Tyler Drake, a Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. Let me run a scenario by you then. I think I know where you'll go with this. So if Will Anderson is off the board when the Cardinals pick at number three, what do you do? 
trade the pick. Do you have a team in mind or a spot in this draft where you're comfortable moving down to pick number blank? You know, I think so. For me, I'm kind of just this is one name that I'm kind of throwing around is is Tyree Wilson because I think he could really impact the team, but he could be a lower pick down the draft. So I think it would have to be maybe pick 12, pick 13-ish range. There's, I mean, but you got to look. There's, there's quite a few teams that need a quarterback. So if that's the case, there's going to be quite a few suitors, I think, to move up, and, and it just really depends on what are they going to get in return. But, yeah, I think uh, middle I, – I don't think you can go into past – Past like fifteen. If you go, if you get something past fifteen, I, I, that's that's pretty rough. It would have to be, I would say twelve, right around twelve would be a, would be a good number for me. All right, let me throw my idea at you, and you tell me if I'm crazy or if it sounds about right. Carolina at number nine. Carolina has two second round picks this year. They have two fourth round picks this year. So you could feasibly see them moving the number nine pick to number three. Get that extra second, get that extra fourth, get your extra one next year or a two or, or whatever it ends up being in the future. Is that a package that makes sense to you? It's another team that needs a quarterback. They're sitting at nine. I feel pretty comfortable the Cardinals could still get a good player at nine. Yeah, yeah. I I, I really like that idea. Send that, send that to Monty right now and see what's up. But uh, I think for <laughs> I'll sure. Text him. And I think, <laughs> and I think, uh, even even another guy outside of Tyree would be a Christian Gonzalez, cornerback out of Oregon. I think he would be a really solid addition, too, just from everything we've seen from him at the Combine, his resume as a, as a college athlete. So there's some names that are that are down there in the middle of the round, not really middle of the round, but, you know, top half of the round that, that are really, really, really going to be impact players, really solid players that are kind of just not really getting that. They're, they're due do credit, I would say, right now with just all the hype with Will Anderson, and then you've got the Jalen Carter wrinkle just kind of taking over the airwaves right now. You may or may not have set me up for my next question, which has to do with a piece that you put out, I believe, yesterday, which presents the scenario of, oh, hey, the Cardinals have traded out of number three. Here are some other names to look out. Of the list that you put together, who did you like the most when writing up the little blurb about said prospect? Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, I, I kind of just looked at the positions that the Cardinals need or could possibly need. There was a, I actually threw a little section in there for wide receivers just because who knows what's going to happen with DeAndre Hopkins. And if he's gone, that wide receiver room gets pretty thin. But yeah, you know, for me, like the two guys I just said, Tyree Wilson and Christian Gonzalez really stood out to me. Another guy, Will McDonald, Iowa State, uh, outside linebacker. He, he really impressed me just from the fact of the dude had like 104 fever. 48 hours before the combine and still did all his workouts, still did everything and and crushed it. So he's another name to watch too. And he could be another guy that you can kind of fall back and trade back on and could be hanging around there. 10, 12 range. I would, I would assume. And then uh, Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern, he's a tackle, but he can move throughout the offensive line and and he could really be an impact guy because at the end of the day, you got to get protectors for Kyler because you paid him a lot of money. You got to keep him healthy when he can return. Talking with Tyler Drake, Cardinals insider, ArizonaSports.com. I saw this tweet from well-known NFL insider Matthew Judon, uh, current player for the Patriots. <laughs> he says, quote, breaking news, DeAndre Hopkins to the Patriots. And then he put two uh, emoji faces with the star eyes. Uh, what am I to draw from this, if anything? Oh, I mean, it's certainly uh, it's certainly something. I, I don't know if you can draw much from it, but... <laughs> 
Definitely, uh, it was an eye opener when I saw it last night. Wishful I, thinking uh, on his part, maybe. Yes, I think that maybe some persuasion through social media, possibly maybe some. <laughs> hey, we want you here, man. Come on over. Like here, I'll just I'll just put the bug out there now. But uh, yeah, I mean, I stayed up for a couple hours last night, making sure nothing uh, popped off. But, but that sometimes uh, works in the NFL, right? I mean, we saw Hopkins exactly. do it with JJ Watt, right? Yeah, yeah. You got to think. I mean. That, Everybody wants to be wanted somehow and somewhere. So if, if you've got that public acknowledgement from one of the best players on that team, that's going to go a long way. So, I mean, obviously he, the Patriots could possibly be in the mix. I don't think they would be, but who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe he's got some more pull than we all know. Tyler Drake, our Arizona Cardinals insider for ArizonaSports.com. But, like, in reality, the – the possibility of DeAndre Hopkins getting traded. I'd seen that NFL Network's Ian Rappaport had hinted that it's probably going to become before the new league year. Who do you think are the possible suitors for him at this point? Or does he just end up staying in Arizona? You know, I'm. It's that's tough. I think it really depends on if he's if he goes and meets with Jonathan Gannon and Mossy again and kind of figures the things out there. He met with Mossy once already, but, you know, there's a couple teams. Obviously, you know, like I said, I don't think it's going to happen, but the Patriots, you never know. There's there's a ton of respect between Bill Belichick and DeAndre. Uh, I mean, scary thought, the Chiefs, that would be wild. Oh, don't, don't um, do that. They don't have any money. Exactly. You know, I'm sure they could figure out a way to make it all work, but, Probably I mean, imagine true. that because I'm, social media, again, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins talked about Patrick Mahomes when he was doing his thing in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, just like that, that, those kind of acknowledgments, you never know what's behind them. Okay, let me throw uh, this theory at you, though. Because when, okay. I, when I look to trade an expensive player, I'm looking for a partner that is a contender. Because let's be honest, no bad team is going to go try to acquire Hopkins. He's the kind of player you need to put you over the top. So it needs to be a good contending team with a lot of money to spend. There's two of them out there. One of them is the Bengals. They have about $32 million to spend this offseason. <laughs> but they already have one of the league's best receivers in Jamar Chase. T. Higgins is maybe available. He might have to be in the trade. Here's my pick. The New York Giants have $43 million to spend and not a ton of great targets. Ooh. But they also don't Ooh. have anybody throwing the ball right now. They also so they don't need- have a quarterback. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, well, okay, so that the Bengals one is really intriguing because, yeah, if you could throw T. Higgins in there, you get a what, you get a pass catcher back plus pick. But the, then you got to pay him. But their GM said, get your own wide receivers. He already said that earlier this week. So I he's just going to take ours. Come on, I don't know. Hey, you never know. But that that's a that's a that's a really interesting scenario. And then, yeah, obviously <laughs> that would be a, the Giants would be an interesting one too. I mean, I think. I think there's a lot of teams that are probably at least inquiring about him. So, I, you know, he's obviously going to have a lot of say. He's his own agent, so he's he's really going to be the negotiator and everything. And, and really, you just got to think the Cardinals are going to work with him if they're going to get a good enough return for his services. Okay, last one we want to ask you about, and then we'll let you go. Uh, specific to the quarterbacks behind Kyler Murray and what the options could be for both uh, head coach Jonathan Gannon and GM Monty Ossonfort. Do you foresee them not testing the market, but using the market and acquiring a backup for Kyler Murray that essentially replaces Colt McCoy? Ooh, I think I do, just because... Colt McCoy is dealing with uh, you know a little bit of a minor procedure this off season. He's going to be limited. You know, you know, you've got Kyler who's who knows when he's going to really return and be full strength. So why not? And 
obviously one name that stands out, Jacoby Brissett. He worked with Drew Petsy in, in uh, Cleveland. And honestly, there's a couple names out there. Marcus Mariota is another name that it would have to – he'd really have to sign on and realize he's not going to be the starter for the whole year. And we saw what happened last year when he was told he wasn't the starter. <laughs> but outside of that, you know, Ty, uh, Taylor uh, Heineke is another name. Uh, let's see. Who else? Carson yeah, there's, Wentz? I, there's, no, no. 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 <laughs> Why no? <laughs> Why no? No. I don't think so. <laughs> That just screams the Sam Bradford, uh, you know, experiment. Thank you. That's a great comparison, Ty. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there's options. There's definitely options out there that can really help, you know, maybe give Petsing an, an idea, especially with a maybe more mobile quarterback like a Brissette or a Mariota. And, I mean, if you even wanted to go down the line and look at a Gardner Minshew or a Baker Mayfield even. But, again, you'd have to make sure that they knew that they, what they were signing up for. All right, Ty, as always, thanks for letting us bother you on a Saturday. We know you're always busy work, working on the next big thing, so thanks for carving out a few for us. <laughs> no problem. Anytime, guys. That's Tyler Drake with ArizonaSports.com. He's our Cardinals insider here at Arizona Sports. Coming up next, really, really big news coming out of the Western Conference that really benefits the Suns. We'll tell you what it is next on Arizona Sports Saturday. <laughs> Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. That's us, Mitch and Steve. Mitch Farrell, the Steve Zinsmeister, here in the Auction Community Studios. Check us out on Twitter if you get a chance, too. At Swing and a Mitch. Try to get playful with it because my last name's impossible to spell. And then at Steve underscore Zins. Check us out on Twitter because Twitter is where we found out where we're starting this next segment with. Courtesy of the Memphis Grizzlies, an official statement. The Memphis Grizzlies announced today that John Morant will be away from the team for at least the next two games. Interesting. There's more. Oh. Not nearly. Well, it's significant to Memphis. Maybe not as significant just from a a wide view standpoint or like for our view. But then Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, followed up with Memphis Grizzlies forward Brandon Clark has suffered a season-ending left Achilles tear, Oof. and he was averaging 10 points on 65% shooting. He had been making spot starts. He'd been coming off the bench. He was a big part of the rotation. So that's that's now two key Memphis Grizzlies gone for, at minimum, for Jaw the next two games, and now for Clark the rest of this year. Yeah, and in context, you're like, what's two games? It's really not going to make a major impact. He'll be back in plenty of time to get into a rhythm before the playoffs. Sure. Uh, what's the whole? Maybe I'm just ignorant to this issue. What is the deal with John Morant? Why is he being suspended? So I missed it. There was a Washington. This is this is if anything, it's a compounding, in my opinion. So the first, the first news article that come out was it was the Grizzlies Pacers game, I believe, in Indiana, or it was in Memphis. I can't oh, was remember. that the skirmish? That was the they saw a red laser coming out of a car by the team bus. Oh yeah. So there was that, which the NBA. I, if I recall correctly, investigated, and they found nothing further on that. Earlier this week, there was a Washington Post article that dropped that had two separate accounts of John Morant getting into, I guess, I guess trouble is the, safe, is the simplest way to put it, this summer, uh, multiple times punching a 17-year-old in his driveway where they were playing pickup basketball and it escalated, and then at a mall where his mom was getting into an argument, I guess, with one of the storefront 
managers or one of the mall cops or what it was, and called upon her son, who then, I guess, brought a group of nine additional people with him. And now the latest compounding is apparently on his Instagram Live last night, he was shown flashing a firearm. Oh, lovely. So everything is not going well for Ja Morant right now. Okay, so it's compounding issues. In my opinion, yes, and I think that this this incident from last night is the over-the-top. Yeah, that makes it really hard to determine like a number of games that a suspension should be. I mean, at well, least okay. there's precedent with some of those things, but when you start adding them all together, it's like, all right, how do we do the math here? So there's the key. Can I read this again? Yeah, go for the it. The Memphis Grizzlies announced today that John Morant will be away from the team for at least the next two games. At least. I heard at least in there. But you know what you did not hear in there? Our guy, Vince Morata on Twitter. Grizzlies not able to use the word suspended? Will miss at least the next two games. Yeah, no more in there suspended. to say suspension. Hmm. Why would they avoid saying the word suspended? This is very clearly a suspension, uh, is it not? Is it an internal suspension? You're as a team, you're making the decision that hey, it'd probably be best if we little, just keep him off the floor for the next couple of games. Triggered by the word internal, but you but know, you know what the, I mean, the idea right? Applies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the team made the decision, not the league. Because if the league comes down with something, that's going to include the word suspension. Because that's the discipline. Sure. But if you're the team and you're making a, I don't want to call it a PR decision, but you're making a a decision in the best interest of the organization, hey, maybe if we lay low with him for a couple of games, that's the best look right now. When Kyrie Irving was away from the Nets earlier this year, did the team suspend him or did the team say stay home? I can't recall. I don't remember the verbiage. That wasn't an NBA decision. But it's the same kind of thing. If you can control the narrative, you get to call it whatever you want. Call it a suspension. Call it a benching. Call it a... uh, He's not available. He's not a benching. He's not going to be with the team. I know. But you know what I mean, though. Like, the team controls the narrative in this scenario, and they probably don't want to put it out into the universe that he's suspended because then everyone's going to be asking the question I just asked you, which is, why is he suspended? They put it out there that he's not going to be with the team. Yeah. And then everybody's wondering, oh my gosh, is he hurt? Well, no, he's not hurt. He's hurting the team. It's the whole, uh, in the it's NHL. It's hurting the league, really. In, in the NHL, it's the whole uh, upper body injury. Well, what what yeah. is it specifically that hurts? Well, he has an upper body, upper body injury. Yeah, but they handled it differently. This is like, this is... Uh, it's not I being openly forthright. It's not the most no, transparent thing of all time, but we all kind of know what's happening, right? If you, if you pay attention and if you read, sure. But... So obviously the focus is on Memphis, but let's turn our focus to what this means for Phoenix. This is two significant games where Memphis is going to be hindered, and then the rest of the season they're going to be hindered rotationally. If you're Phoenix, you have to think that this is this is the moment to pounce, right? The wounded prey is limping, and you are just barely peeking out of the tall grass in the savanna, and you're ready to jump. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the Western Conference, I mean, the Nuggets are eight and two in their last ten. They're they're rolling on all I don't cylinders. Think they're getting up there. Their but. direction only points north. The Grizzlies, to your point, while I don't think that it's like the end of the world that they lose Brandon Clark, and I don't think it's the end of the world that John Morant misses two games, they're certainly not heading north. They're they're definitely the arrow is pointed down. The Kings definitely pointed up. They're eight and two in their last uh, ten games. They've been really good since the All Star break. The Suns, I think, are pointed up. 
especially with the addition of Kevin Durant. And over the last two games with him, they've looked very, very good, winning by double digits each time. The Warriors pointed up. The Mavericks, I would say, kind of sitting in the middle, but the Kyrie addition probably tilts them slightly up. So in the first six slots in the Western Conference, the Grizzlies are the only ones going through any what I would call turmoil at this point. And everybody else that's going through turmoil is below them or below that um, the play-in line. Now, in reality, how much is Phoenix actually going to catch up on Memphis? They're four games back of them right now. They're, I'm not saying like they're going to catch Memphis. They could grab that number two seed from them. There's certainly a scenario where Sacramento could do it within these next two games. They're only a game back, and they haven't lost since the break. I think more would need to happen with the Grizzlies and the drama in order for the Suns to work their way up to that two seed. Not that four games is, is any insurmountable. Is stuff that's already happened not enough? But but it's only, I mean, in theory, John Morant's absence only impacts them for two games. At least two games. Against the Lakers and the Clippers, which are he both might be, not good teams right now. He might right be out now. longer. Like, how long was Kyrie out? And they only set a minimum of a couple of games at that time, didn't they? If the Grizzlies were playing the Nuggets and the Kings in the next two games, then I'm saying, oh, that's bad for the Grizzlies. They're definitely losing those two games. But they're playing, they're the, playing the, Lakers the Lakers and the Lakers. Yeah. Those are two very beatable teams right now. The 11-seed Lakers without LeBron and the 8-seed Clippers who haven't won a game since they acquired Russell Westbrook and may never win one ever again. I'm <laughs> being a little facetious here, but... No, you might be right about that. I mean, come on. How bad is this really for the Grizzlies? I mean, It's a were, bad look. I mean, they were playing bad with him, too. I get it. It's a bad look, but this is a 6-4 and four team in their last 10. That's not terrible. And you're going to get them back in a couple of days. In theory, they did say at least two games. That's just they it. could it's extend like, it. What happens if it becomes more? That's what I'm talking about here. That's the scenario where the Suns start to have an open window to that number two seed potentially. It's just fascinating too how much a year changes. Memphis were darlings last year. Remember? I mean, they're like, still pretty darn good. At least from the perspective of Phoenix, we maybe didn't see it that way because we were ahead of Memphis and trying to stay ahead of Memphis the whole year. True. But to the rest of the league, Memphis was the darlings, right? Like. Oh, they're a bunch of young guns, and they, they occasionally talk trash, and Jaw is such a cool guy and a role model. Now it's like the complete opposite. I wouldn't want anybody looking up to Jaw Morant based off what's been reported the last couple of weeks. Well, what's great about the Grizzlies is they're a dominant team at home. This is a 26-5 and team in Memphis. Mm-hmm. On the road, different story. They're 12-19, and 19, but well, I think the Suns have the same argument. They're 14-19. Here you go. Yeah. Let's get ready. I, I think it's a big story, and it's something to keep an eye on if it evolves. If it gets worse for the Grizzlies and John Morant, sure. then let's talk. Two games, I'm not overly concerned that it's going to flip the organization upside down. We'll just wait and see. Yeah. Coming up next, uh, the Diamondbacks. We're taking you right up to 1 o'clock when the Diamondbacks are going to take over for their spring training game. Has it already become a one-man race for that last spot in the starting rotation? We'll dive into that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And we'll take you right up to 1 o'clock when the Diamondbacks take over for a spring training game. It's been really nice to see some baseball in action. That's why we brought our friend Cody Fincher from, uh, we do the Ain't No Fang podcast together at ArizonaSports.com. Shameless plug, also friend. 
That's what I was going to say. Did I say that? That's what I was going to say. Did I say friend? Is that a Freudian slip of yours? No, I meant it. I know you meant it. I meant it from my perspective. Oh, well, I don't want to get into your guys' stuff. but We did a podcast today, actually, talking about the fifth spot in starting rotation. It's kind of three or four guys might be in the mix for this last spot, but it appears that it might already kind of be a one-man race. To me, it's Dre Jameson's spot to lose. I agree with you. I mean, yeah, each guy that's kind of been in that... The ca- a candidate for that spot is only thrown in two games, so right. it's still early. But Jameson hasn't given up a run. He has he has only given up a hit. I mean, he's been electric so far. I mean, I mean he looks like the guy that yeah. pitched in September. And yes, that's exactly he does. What we were he was for. so good. He was so good in September last year when he got called up, and it's kind of carried over into spring training. Yeah, he's not facing a plus lineups every game so far obviously but still I mean there are major league hitters in those lineups so he's and he's gone right through every you know batter he's faced so far and I think the thing about Dre that just sets him apart from everybody else and this isn't like a knock on Ryan Nelson or it's not a knock on Brandon Fott because Fott has the same ability he's just a little bit younger less experienced Dre throws hard and there's not a lot of guys in this Diamondbacks rotation that throw hard and like consistent upper 90s and perhaps even low 100s. And I think that's going to only benefit the Diamondbacks this year if they give them the opportunity. Now, the thing is, we're talking about four innings for Dre Jameson. We're talking about four and a third for Tommy Henry. good innings, though. No, I get it. I get it. It's, It's early impressions, though, I guess is my point. There's plenty of time in the next three or four weeks in spring training for any one of these guys to just skyrocket and take off or just totally crater. So it is early returns, but the early returns for Dre Jameson, pretty darn good. Um, What about some of the bullpen pieces? Because I feel like they brought in a ton of names, and they're just trying to see what sticks. Is there anything that stood out so far in their usage of the bullpen? Miguel Castro has been pretty good so far. Um, I don't think he's given up a run at all. Scott McGuff hasn't given up a run. Also hasn't struck anybody out, which is kind of interesting. Um, but, I mean, get a guy out. I don't care how you do it. Um, <laughs> this kid, I don't know if you guys have seen him. Justin Martinez, uh, one of their younger prospects who we discovered when recording the podcast earlier today that he is on the 40-man roster. The dude throws over 100 miles an hour. There was a, I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter. There was a picture of the scoreboard at Camelback Ranch. It couldn't even put up... A miles per hour because it, it didn't have the capability to go triple digits. Wow. It said he was throwing a zero zero mile an hour fastball. And we're like, that's not right. In one game, he topped out at 102. Now, can he locate the ball? I'm not sure. He's young. He's the number 21 prospect now in their system. That guy has has impressed me. Um, obviously, Chafin and Mantiply are locks. Melanson, Melanson got his first appearance the other day was not good. Um, but it's just one one outing, so we'll see. It's his it's, first it's outing. It's one outing, but at the same time, we're comparing two pretty solid outings yeah. for this. And I expect better from Mark Melanson. I don't care if it's in like the third inning or the fourth inning where yeah. you're still facing against top-tier talent. Like, you're Mark Melanson. Go out there and shut the dude down. Yeah, I, I almost hope Tori never names a closer. I, I kind of, I hope he doesn't because there's so many guys in this bullpen that can do it 
that have done it in the past. Like you have Jerry's Familia in your bullpen, who was one of the premier closers in the league, former All Star. Yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago. I mean, he was the he was the Mets star closer before they got Edwin Diaz. Obviously, I mean, he's he's older and here on a minor league deal, but he. He has a chance to make the bullpen as well. And I, the bullpen is going to be super interesting. Corbin Martin is now a full-time reliever. You know, he's not. Is that a, official? I, yeah. He's been, tran- wow. he's been transitioned to full-time relief. So who knows if he can maybe get a long reliever spot in that bullpen. I'm not sure, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. There's a lot of guys like, and there's also, you know, Vargas is down there and Solser. All these guys have a chance to make the bullpen. It's funny too because I believe last week Steve and I were we were sharing our bold predictions for the season and I think both of us the only one we came to agreement on because you were just busy ripping all of my bold predictions I did do that the one yeah. we came to agreement on was that Scott McGuff is kind of the sneaky guy that could just end up with the closer role uh, he had sixty nine saves in the last two seasons in Japan yeah. I mean he's got experience now Japan is certainly not the same as doing it in the major leagues but. If you want to talk about a guy that maybe was a market that the Diamondbacks plucked into that other teams weren't necessarily looking at as hard, that's a guy with experience in the ninth inning. I believe Merrill came from Korean baseball, but like, yes. it's not like this is a first-time thing, particularly for Mike Hazen. They did it with find, Yoshi. To find dudes in Asia. Yeah, they Yoshi Hirano was another guy that they found over there. Um, yeah, Merrill Kelly's been their second best pitcher and he, you know he goes to he goes to the KBO and finds himself and comes back over so yeah i mean scott mcguff and the thing about i'm not sure if he learned to throw this pitch over there but the thing about and when you think about most japanese pitchers they all have what a ridiculous splitter yes this dude Kode Senga for the Mets has a splitter called the Ghost Fork. <laughs> yes, please. So if you're, if you always have the best name, if you're telling yeah. me you Darvish throws like 18 pitches, yeah. um, if you're telling me that Scott McGuff learned to throw his splitter in Japan, sign me up because it's probably a really good one. Remember yeah. the gyro ball? Dice that was Daisuke, right? Yeah, oh, man. When he had the jar, there was like yeah. an inverse slider. Shohei Otani's splitter is ridiculous. It doesn't um, even make sense the direction it moves for a right-hander. I mean, sometimes it's just yeah. If you're bizarre. if you're looking for a guy with closer experience, yeah, like you said, it's it's in Japan. It's not major leagues, but hey, the ninth done inning. It. The ninth, the ninth inning. inning of any baseball game is the ninth inning. So. He might have an outside chance. Miguel Castro also has really good stuff, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in the ninth inning, yeah, too. Yeah, he's got those incentives in his contract sure, yeah. that if you close a game, you get more money. Um, one thing we were trying to figure out on the podcast today is what is the role for Paven Smith moving forward? He's a guy that we considered on the bubble for making the roster. He's a below-average outfielder when it comes to the like the actual fielding of the position. They have other guys that are better. He's left-handed, which they just don't need out there with all the other guys. Solid first baseman as of this past yeah, season. Yeah, and Christian Walker played 160 games last season. So, how much of a role are you really going to have as a backup first baseman? Is there a reason to put him on the roster opening day? Um, unless there's an injury, I would say no. Um. Well, we we haven't really gotten to look at Kyle Lewis yet. I think that's coming soon. But I just don't really see a scenario where the D-backs keep Paven Smith on the roster just so he could be the backup first baseman because you do have Evan Longoria who can slide over to first base. You have Lourdes Gurriel Jr. who's played first base in the past. Um, and both of those guys can DH as well because I think your starting outfield is McCarthy, Thomas, and Carroll. 
And, you know, depending on lefty-righty, you, you know, they'll mix and match there. But I just don't know where the spot is for Paven Smith on this roster if every if everyone is healthy. I just don't really see. I think they're going to give Kyle Lewis a fair shake because they traded for him this offseason. And, he, you know, two or three years ago, he was the rookie of the year. Yeah, 2020 short season. But um, I just I, I don't know where the, the opening is right now for Paven Smith. I'll be honest. If it wasn't for Gambo bringing it up with uh, manager Tori Lovello a couple of weeks back, I forgot that Paven Smith was even a part of this team. Like, I'm so zeroed in on all of these young outfielders and the stretch that they had after the All-Star break that I almost forgot that Paven Smith wasn't even a part of that because he was struggling and got injured. Mm -hmm. Well, and you kind of had this experiment over the last few years where you were converting Dalton Varsho to an outfielder from a catcher. And it worked really well. And you were trying to convert Paven Smith from a primary first baseman at a time. Remember, he was drafted in the first round at a time when Paul Goldschmidt was still here. He's Mike Hazen's first draft pick. I mean, and yeah. you had Seth Beer in the mix eventually when they made the trade with Granky, and mm-hmm. you had Kevin Crone in the organization, and Payton, Christian Walker, <laughs> and Christian Walker. Paven Smith wow. was—I uh, don't—I don't know how to put it, but he—he he wasn't necessarily needed at the time they brought him in. I, I just don't know if there's a spot because, like you said, I mean, I'm not saying Christian Walker is going to play 160 games again this year. That's Why almost, not? That's almost unheard of. I mean, 140 just, though. Yeah, it seems if, reasonable. If, even if you take off. 20 games. Are you keeping Paven Smith on the roster just so that he might play first base 25 times in the season? You know, plus maybe a couple I, I DHs just, here. When and there. you can maybe keep an extra reliever or Kyle Lewis. Um, I, I just, I, I just don't know where the at bats are going to come for Paven Smith unless there's an injury. I think in reality, the only thing Paven has going for him is his first base experience. Yeah, who is the first baseman behind Christian Walker? I don't know if there is one. Well, like and Cody I, mentioned, there's a lot of guys who can do sure, it. Sure, but I don't want to train some dude who can play first base behind a dude that won the Gold Glove last year and very right. deservedly won the Gold Glove last year. You have to replace that defense as well. It's not just the bat and the right. order. Yeah. So Paven Smith, no, he doesn't match up defensively to what Christian Walker did, but he's better than like the occasional Longoria or the occasional Rojas. <laughs> it it feels. Spot. It feels like. And it's not fair, but it feels like the the thing hurting Paven Smith the most is that he's left handed. He's a left handed hitter. And that's not There's, his fault. It's not his fault. He was he he's, he can't change that. I mean, no. I guess you could all of a sudden become a switch hitter, yeah, but take him pull a Cedric yeah, Mullins. Yeah, just, yeah, sure. Eh, I don't uh, think I'm going to hit that way anymore. They have so many left handed hitters. I mean, that's another thing too. They need. Would you rather have on this team? A right-handed hitting Kyle Lewis. Yeah, he didn't have a good year last year, but but he also plays stellar defense in the outfield. Right, and he can DH as well. Would you rather have a right-handed hitting outfielder in Kyle Lewis or le- another left-handed hitter in Paven Smith? I think the the odds are going to be that Lewis gets that spot. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a tough decision, I think, too, for Paven to be sent back down. I think he's gonna he'll go right down to AAA. And if there's an injury or whatnot, something happens, he'll come right back up. Uh, something to keep an eye on as we move forward with spring training. Uh, Bear, thanks for popping in with us. Appreciate you being here. You got it. Anytime. Awesome. We'll talk with you anytime, man. Notice how he just uh, pointed at you, by the way. Yeah. you guys. Well, I can see you now. The <laughs> monitors are gone. You guys aren't really friends, as we established. So. Uh, Diamondbacks action coming up at 1 o'clock as we take you what up to What are you talking about? Time. We're betting friends. We're betting friends bet things. Oh, how about this? Because that sets up perfectly for this tease. A member of the Arizona Coyotes doesn't care if you lose your parlay. He what? ain't giving you money. 
Yeah, we'll tell you who said that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. Footnotes, for those who do not know, is the portion of the show where we get to all the stories that we didn't have time to get to, and we just wanted to give them their space here now. So we're going to start. There's a lot of Coyote stuff because they just had the NHL trade deadline this past week. And as we know, the Coyotes are very busy with their rebuild and they made a lot of trades this past week. So it's going to be Coyotes heavy. Do they have any players left? They do. Or did they trade them all? There's a fantastic stat or several fantastic stats. I'll get to those in a minute. But what I teased was there's a Coyotes player who doesn't care if you lose your parlay. Stop asking him for money. Okay. That Coyotes player is goalie Connor Ingram, who tweeted out... Yes, two days ago. If you message me asking me for money because your 17-leg parlay didn't hit, I hope you spend the rest of your life in Azkaban. Who are you people? Who are you people that lose a bet because of a sports event and then you tweet at the athlete asking them for money to make up for your it's dumb like, bet? It's like, hey, how dare Who you? Who are you people? You screwed me. It's like, no, no, he didn't. That's like tweeting at Kevin Durant being like, my fantasy team lost last night. What are you, you didn't do, do good because you weren't because you didn't play forty five minutes last night. Whatever, dude. Yeah. Do so. people have a realistic expectation that athletes are going to pay them back? I don't. know. I've seen instances of it. Right. Like I think JJ Watt might have done something Watt, like that. But it because it directly impacted Watt too. Remember, it was the defensive fumble and he took it in for a touchdown, but it got called back in the game against the Rams. Right. And he was feeling generous because he's like, you know what, I got robbed too. So here's a hundred bucks. But that's yeah, and that's a scenario where you did something good. Not and then that dude turned it around and donated it to Watts Foundation. Okay, see, those like, are awesome stories, but I don't expect the athlete to pay me back because no. I made a dumb bet. I don't even expect the athlete to reply. No. <laughs> Not at all. <sighs> so I saw that and I thought it was funny. You degenerates. As far as the rest of the Coyotes news that I have, of course, the trade deadline was this week. The last trade that they made involved Nick Ritchie. And Troy Stetcher. They sent them to the Calgary Flames in exchange for Brett Ritchie and Connor Mackey. And I know what you're immediately thinking, because you've got that look on your face. There's two Ritchies in there. They are brothers. Oh. It is also the first trade in the NHL's trade database that involves brothers being traded for one another. Interesting. We have a lot of experience with the whole brother thing here in the Valley, don't we? Remember when the Suns had both of the Morris twins, both of the Drogic brothers... I'm forgetting. There's another one, isn't there? Wasn't there another set of brothers that's played for the Suns? I feel Morris like there was. The Morai. I, I mentioned the Morai and then the, the Drogic brothers. It wasn't the Plumleys. I can't remember. But, I mean, we have tons of experience about this kind I, of stuff. I try to block those Suns teams out of my memory just for yeah, the that's record. Fair. So. That's fair. I, I can agree with that. Bill Armstrong, after the trade, was quoted as saying... Uh, quote, I said to Nick, this is going to be cheap housing. You can go to his house. He can go to your house. You guys don't have to move cars or anything. Just switch <laughs> homes. Wasn't there a house swap? Wasn't that a show or something like that? Uh, or trading places or yeah, something like that? I think that was show. more about like switching families. Like the wife would go to a different yeah. family. Man, wife swap? I think that was Reality a show. television is so, so weird. They're not switching wives that we know of. No. Okay. At least we don't think so. Right. Wasn't the only trade that the Coyotes made. They ended up doing right by Jacob Chikrin, the defenseman who had been away from the team for trade-related reasons that even said. They finally traded him to Ottawa, and then he made his debut recently. But did they do right by the team? Because 
Well, From everyone that I've talked to, I'm, I'm not super into hockey, so I don't claim to know what everybody is worth in this league, but they got, what, a conditional first, uh, a second, and a conditional second or something like that? That sounds like a lot of draft capital to me for a mm-hmm. guy in Jacob Chicken who I knew was a good player, but, I mean, you know, I didn't think he was otherworldly. And everybody seems upset that they didn't get enough for him. Well, because they didn't. That's just the problem. The The reality is, is they did not get enough for him because they were asking for too much. And then they got hampered by cap situations. So here, here's the couple stats I wanted to bring up with the Yotes. So the trade, the, the Coyotes are all done. Busy week for Bill. He shaved the entire roster of expiring deals. So there are no more unrestricted or soon-to-be unrestricted free agents on the Coyotes roster. Is that a good thing? I thought that was very interesting. Usually you want to have some expiring deals so that you know how much money you're going to have available to you in the offseason. You also, on the same breath, you want to acquire some expiring contracts because you know they're coming off the books soon. And you can flip them the next year. Because if the Coyotes are going to take on salary and trades the way that they've been doing, and they're lasting multiple years... That means you're not getting that relief next season. Well, so here's what fascinated me. You ready for this? This comes from Adam Herman. He's a, He does hockey for Bleacher Report. Of the $67.2 million cap hit the Coyotes now have on their roster, 57.6% is allocated to pseudo-retirements, cap retention via trade, and contract dumps. So, so to surmise, Steve, about 60% of their payroll, the Coyotes, not playing. Yeah, they're essentially the rest of the league's dumpster where they've just dumped all their bad contracts. Players who are injured, players who are retiring. None of those guys are playing for the Coyotes. And I get it. Sometimes you take on those contracts to get a draft pick. It, I, I compare it to the Zach Greinke trade years ago, right, where you had two options. Either trade Greinke and get a good prospect package back, but you need to eat a lot of the money, which is what they opted to do. Or they could have traded Greinke, and the Astros would have eaten all that salary, but given them nothing in return. Right. And the Coyotes are opting to take on that salary so that they can get a good draft capital return. I just thought both of those were fascinating. So you have no future unrestricted free agents. And about 60% of your payroll is not even playing. What does that tell you about next season? I don't know. But a lot of that... I don't think they're going to be very competitive. Well, so some of those are going to come off the books. Like, I think Patrick Kane, who they took 25%, he's going to be a free agent. Travis Boyd, they took half of his contract. He's going to be a free agent. Or not Boyd, sorry. Nick Bukestad, he'll be a free agent after this. So some of that money will disappear. And they've got, I think Bill quoted yesterday, is like 52 picks over the next few years. It's like, holy smokes. Wanted to bring up this too. Diamondbacks. These uh, young outfielders, they all really seem to like one another, right? Yeah, they're getting along really well. And they do. And They've been playing together for a long time. We've talked a lot about Corbin Carroll and how fast he is. And we all see it as a good thing. Alec Thomas was on with the Burns and Gamble show earlier this week. There's, There's just one thing that kind of bothers him about Corbin Carroll when he's running. And I'll let him explain. There's so much energy when he runs, too. He's just going by mile, mile a minute. Yeah, and um, his face, by the way, is just awful. I mean, if you, ever, if you ever see his face when he's running, is brutal. I told him, you need to change your face, man. You look like you're about to poop your pants or do something <laughs> so, like so that. So we've, we've heard of, like, you know, resting you-know-what face. You're yeah, talking about, like, right. running Corbin Carroll face. I've never yeah. noticed this he's, before. He's running like Corbin been on Carroll the toilet face. for about. 10, 15 minutes, and uh, and he really needs to get this last one out, and he just can't, and that's what it looks like. 
Don't let Bickley and Murata get their hands on that poopy Too pants late. clip. Too late. <laughs> I'm sure they're running wild with that on their show. Jarrett Carlin, the uh, producer of uh, Bickley and Murata, he's very well aware. He's uh, well-versed in the poop jokes, I guess, oh is the gosh. way to put it. Uh, that's hilarious. I watched some of the promotional videos that the team's been putting out for spring training, mm-hmm. uh, including one that they put me in, which I thought was nice of them to do. How about that? They promoted you like yeah, that. Yeah, I guess so. Somebody listens to the podcast. Um, and uh, so we went ahead and did that. And in the video, I could really tell how well they've gelled in that outfit. Now, a lot of those guys came up together. They've played yeah. together in AAA or AA or even lower and in the league. And it's great. And now they're together at the major league level. Yeah. So it's kind of cool that an entire unit, minus Lourdes Gurriel, has <laughs> oh. kind of come up together. I, I think that's cool. I, yeah. I and they all seem to be really good friends. I, I wish we got the chance to ask Steve Gilbert this when he was on with us earlier, but... Like, this might be the most excited I've been about a Diamondbacks team in a long, long time. Yeah, I think so. In I reality. Mean, that 2017 team, especially after the trade deadline, was really cool. Right, but going into the season. Going into the like season, Like, maybe 2020, yeah. but then we saw what happened, and now we look at 2020 differently, right? We were pretty excited going into 2020. That was the Bumgarner year. They had just traded Starling for Starling Marte. Marte. Cole, Ma- Cole Calhoun. Yeah. Everything lined up for them that year, and then it didn't. That was a big one. How about this? Last one here before we wrap things up. Uh, Stuart Mandel with The Athletic had a report that the Big 12 supposedly recently contacted ASU and Arizona, as well as Utah and Colorado, about joining the Big 12. Yes. Yes. Do I even have to ask I don't even know what was said in the phone call. Yes. Here's a quote from Stuart's article. Abandon the Pac-12. Sources briefed on the discussions say the conference has been in recent contact with the so-called Four Corner Schools. That's the four I listed, which has renewed optimism that convincing them to join is possible. Here's the other nugget. Yormark, Brett Yormark, who's the commissioner of the Big 12, is also deep in discussions with Gonzaga. Hmm. But sources involved in the process indicated he wants clarity on the Pac-12 situation before making that move. Gonzaga, obviously not for football, but for basketball. The Pac-12 is a dying conference, particularly if you want to look at football. You're losing USC. You're losing UCLA. They're going to bigger and better things in the Big Ten. ASU needs to be looking at all options on the table or else their games are going to be on ION. No. Which actually might not be so bad because at least that's over the air. We, we diss it, but then at the same time, we're looking at it as, oh, you just buy a, a like a $20 antenna yeah. and then you can watch it. <laughs> I can at it. least get it in my living room. I can't say the same thing about the Pac-12 network. It's crazy. No, I think they should be looking at all options, and I think that that certainly makes the most sense to look at the Big 12. Hey, thanks so much for checking out the show today. We really appreciate it. For my uh, co-host, Mitch Vareldis, for Trevor Henry behind the glass, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.